0: coming up in this episode this one is not going to be about how to be happy you know how to turn that frown upside down because there's enough of that nonsense online this episode though in typical thai gap fashion we're going to be mentioning the unmentioned things that slip and slide under the radar you know trying to demystify the spooky action at a distance to use Einstein's phrasing. Because the word happiness gets thrown around so much, people may be using the same word, but they might as well be speaking in different languages. This one's not really an entertainer, not a casual listen. So if you do have to drop off because, you know, life is happening to you, then just hit the follow or subscribe button so that you can come back to it when you have a more still moment to yourself. All right. Here we go. We seek happiness, but without knowing where, like drunken men who search for their homes, knowing only that they have one. That was a quote by Voltaire, and I would have probably said that in a silly French accent, but then you would immediately drop off the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of the Thigh Gap Podcast. My name is Bogus Noog, and this week the episode is about happiness. It's not easy. Because this word has become such an umbrella term these days, I want to start off by asking you, what does happiness mean to you? What is your understanding of that word? Let us know on our socials. On Instagram, we are at underscore thygap. On Twitter, we are at thygap. And our email is mindthygap at gmail.com. So as we do for all It's Not Easy episodes, they follow a certain format. We start off with the context of the word. Um, in what context are we using the word happiness? And why exactly it's not easy? And why is it important? Let's start with the context. Like I mentioned um, ahead of the episode, this is not really going into, you know, what the, what the true meaning of the term is, because honestly, I'm not sure um, in whatever I try to look up. It only left me more confused. And it's not going to be about how can we be happy? You know, how can we keep the fifis at bay, the feelings? It's not going to be about that. But it's more an exploration into just how slippery this term has become in contemporary language and why we really need to watch ourselves when we engage with this particular word or the concept overall. All right. So why is happiness not easy? As we always do, let me start with a definition. You know, I just did a basic uh, lookup of the term just to see what is being used contemporarily. What's the definition that you're going to find probably if you look it up online? And happiness is defined as, or this is the definition I found. It's an emotional state characterized by feelings of joy, satisfaction, contentment, And fulfillment. Okay, that's the definition I found. Now let's just take a look at all the different terms that were used in there. There's happiness, first of all, contentment, then there's joy. Then in some other definitions, I also found the usage of words like bliss, ecstasy, and pleasure. All right, now let me just demonstrate how slippery this word is today. So we looked at the definition of happiness, in which they pretty much threw in everything. Joy, satisfaction, contentment, blah, 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 right? Let's look at their definition of contentment. It says contentment is a state of satisfaction. Okay. Let's look at their definition of joy feeling of great pleasure or happiness. Wow. Definition of bliss perfect happiness or great joy. Definition of ecstasy overwhelming feeling of great happiness or joyful excitement. Definition of pleasure. A feeling of happy satisfaction or enjoyment. You see what's going on here? Joy refers to pleasure or happiness. Pleasure refers to satisfaction or enjoyment. Bliss refers to happiness or great joy. Ecstasy refers to great happiness or joyful excitement. So basically, all of these words are just pointing at each other. Am I really seeing a true meaning or a significance? In any of these terms, I don't. They're all just pointing to each other. It's a Mexican standoff. Now if this is what we're going to find when we look these terms of online you know because let's say someone somewhere just pauses for a moment and thinks okay what do these words actually mean first of all because there seem to be so many of them right and if we just think logically for once the first clue or hint that something's gone wrong is that if there are so many different words in a language Technically, it should mean they all have different meanings. Maybe slight or subtle variations in the meaning, but that's the only reason why there should be so many words. It doesn't follow or it doesn't make sense that you would have 15 words that mean the same thing. Over time, yes, any language probably gets corrupted. Any language, you know, down the line, we may lose the original essence of what the words were supposed to mean. And it looks like we find ourselves at a juncture where all of these words are pretty much pointing to each other, and that's about it. This is just a teaser into why happiness—it's not really easy, you know. Because I did a cursory lookup of material or content online on the subject of happiness, and you come across videos, you come across TED talks about how happiness is within you. Then there are listicles about like seven or 10 things that are uh, the traits of a happy individual. One list has seven things. Another list has about 15 things. There's videos on how to find happiness in your life. There's videos on how you should not pursue happiness in your life. Then there's videos on how happiness is something that you produce indigenously in your body, like DMT or something, and that you have a never-ending store of it. How is anyone supposed to make sense of this? And what's deeper than even that is, are all these people, first of all, talking about the same thing here? They use the word happiness, right? But are they really talking about the same thing? When you use the word happiness, or when you think of the concept, is your definition really matching any of theirs? The way these words all seem to be pointing to each other in their meanings, it reminds me of the kind of answers we used to write in our engineering days, you know, in our exams basically nothing but word salad trying to fill out the answer sheet with some bullshit or the other so we can appear or come across as you know someone who is not completely rock solid dumb so we can scrape by with whatever least minimum marks the professor on that particular day felt appropriate to disperse with you know out of sheer pity or disgust that's what these words look like and it goes on you know it says While happiness has many different definitions, it is often described as involving positive emotions and life satisfaction. such a helpful and specific definition. You know, it really helps narrow it down. Another statement, happiness is generally linked to experiencing more positive feelings than negative ones. Does that ring true to you? Because it doesn't to me. Is that really what it feels like? I mean, the word in true practical application. Do we really think of ourselves as being happy when you look at the balance sheet of credit and debit and you see, oh yeah, overall, I have more positive feelings than negative ones today. Is that really how we understand or engage with that word? The Greek philosopher Aristotle classified it into two different types. You know, one was the more pleasure-seeking sort of happiness, good feels, materialistic stuff, you know, fulfillment of desires, etc., etc., The other kind is happiness derived out of virtuous acts or a sense of fulfillment, you know, of your purpose. So the high road and the low road, basically, he tried to classify it in that way. And there's so many descriptions that I came across in my, you know, basic cursory research just to figure out what was the conversation in general like. And in most of these descriptions, you know, they're either describing moods or they're describing experiencing emotions, habits, or a general outlook on life and how someone approaches adversity. But I did not find, you know, a single description or anything talking about dealing with a small fleeting moment. That I did not find. So then I try to look at what the Eastern, you know, thought talked about it. And ancient Indian thought talks about it as a classification between physical kind of happiness, a mental kind of happiness, which involves fulfillment, the lack of worry or anxiety. And then there's a spiritual type of happiness, which uses words like joy or ecstasy or bliss. Bliss is the big one, usually. And they continue to say that the purpose of life is actually not happiness. The purpose of life is bliss. And what was the definition of bliss that I described earlier? Perfect happiness or great joy. Awesome. They went on to say that, you know, the blind pursuit of happiness for the sake of happiness alone, it actually leads to attachment. It leads to bondage or in today's terms, you can say it leads to addiction or kind of slavishness that you actually are digging yourself into a trap if you're chasing happiness for happiness' sake. And that all types of happiness that come out of just fulfilling desires and likes and dislikes, they tend to have some consequence or the other. And true happiness actually lies in complete freedom from, you know, the compulsion to be happy or trying to live in between conditionalities. And there's some more high-funda spiritual language, which I won't go into. But once again, that description of, you know, a small fleeting moment, that I was not able to find. But overall, this Eastern thought process or the ancient Indian way of describing it or classifying it kind of makes more sense. It, at least I feel it does a better job of, you know, placing things, you know, classifying things in a way that we can relate with. Because in the classification of physical happiness, they've used terms like pleasure and mental is more fulfillment, contentment, no worries, no anxieties. And then you go to spiritual, then you get bliss, ecstasy, etc. So even though I don't get the exact dictionary meanings of the words, because of this classification, I'm beginning to see what the difference is. So at least that. But I want to come back to that small fleeting moment. You know, because I'm sure you you must have heard of famous quotes, popular quotes that go something like, you know, life is what happens while you're busy making plans. Or life is what actually happens in between moments. Then there's typical Instagram kind of quotes that I came across. There's ordinary people out there doing extraordinary things. Okay. I mean, that's definitely true. But there's no mention of the fact that extraordinary people also have to do ordinary things. There's no escaping that. So what are we actually talking about there? I'm going to call that the in-between place. You know, if extraordinary people have to be doing ordinary things without escape, what is that? Wouldn't it be great if you could just level up in life like a video game? you know, like you cross certain levels, you do something to prove yourself in whatever capacity at whatever scale, and then you get perks, you know, as you keep graduating. Things like, okay, I've moved on from stage A to B, so I no longer have to brush my teeth anymore. A little further, I no longer have to shower. A little further, my farts stop smelling bad. Probably start smelling like perfume. But sadly, it doesn't seem to work this way. You know, extraordinary people also have to do ordinary things. No matter who or what we end up pulling off, we still have to brush our teeth and still have to wash our butts. This is the in-between stuff, you know, the mundane stuff that I was talking about. And there's a reason why I'm talking about that as well. There's a very famous Zen saying that goes, Before enlightenment, break wood, carry water. After enlightenment, break wood, carry water. It goes back to a story, an old Zen kind of story, where there's a monk and a pupil and the pupil is seeking enlightenment from his guru. And the guru basically gives certain responsibilities to this guy, saying that every day you have to chop wood for the monastery and then you have to go down and carry water back up. You have to do this twice a day. So the pupil does this for an extended period of time. Not really receiving any mind-blowing revelations from the monk's teachings. It all seems to be pretty basic. So our man is feeling a little low, you know, he's feeling a little down. And his guru asks him, what's up? When this guy basically says, oh yeah, but I I expected, you know, it's been a while. I expected to have made some progress in my journey towards my so-called destination. But all I'm doing is chopping wood and carrying water every day. That's about it. And the guru says, I was in the same place as you. I used to have the same rush. I also felt frustrated about these daily chores that I had to do. Then I graduated from there. Then I started teaching people, counseling people, you know, powerful people like heads of state. Then I got access to read all of the old sacred manuscripts with all that knowledge. And then I came to realize that in the end, it was all about chopping wood and carrying water. So before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. I guess what this is pointing to is the fact that the mundane stuff, the in-between stuff in life is inevitable. It almost feels like you're being cheated, you know, when you think you've achieved so much in life. Because you look at so many examples of people who have done a lot of great things, but there still seems to be a hole that they cannot fill no amount of money, no amount of fame seems to do anything to fill that hole. Then those of us that are actually still climbing the ladder and we're looking at a certain goal and uh, we're looking at, you know, certain pit stops to reach, we have to kind of like when we are taking a break, you know, in between to sort of catch our breath, etc. We have to kind of look up at all of that and think, okay, why are we doing this? Because those guys who got a head start, almost all of them to the last one, is turning back and saying, guys, this is not it. So then if that's not it, then what is it all about? Then there are Buddhist concepts, you know, very endearing, warm, fuzzy concepts like life is misery. The nature of life is suffering. We are all alone. There's a quote by Charles Bukowski, the author that goes, there's a loneliness in this world so great that you can see it in the slow movement of the hands of the clock. That just takes me back to my school days. I used to literally stare at the clock over my professor's head. Every class was 50 minutes long. five zero, And I used to just look at the minutes go by because there was nothing else I could do. I used to think about when, when this torture would end. I don't mean the class, I mean that whole cycle. Because at the end of 50 minutes, clock is reset and timer starts again. The next 50 minutes. From there I found myself doing electrical engineering of all the god-forsaken things on this planet. Four years of absolute agony, mind-bending stagnation, rot, decomposition. I had to literally drag myself every day to that college. My faculty pretty much suspected that I was on drugs, like constantly, 24-7. And the reason I'm, you know, using that example is because generally when compared to everyone else, if you try to classify people, okay, who are the generally happy guys, the happy bunch, who do we have in the depressed category, who do we have in the angry category, who is borderline suicidal, who is pretty much sleepwalking through the whole thing, oblivious, I'd probably be classified in the happy bunch. So how does that work exactly? There's a famous story, the title is The Day the Earth Stood Still or something like that. I've lost count of how many moments I've felt, you know, time absolutely stood still. So basically, you know, taking all these things into consideration, there's really no escaping the in-between stuff. There's no escaping the daily chores. There's no escaping the mundane things in life. There's no escaping the fact that ultimately we are all alone. And there's no escaping the fact that we're all going to die. So then the key question becomes, what is your definition of the word happiness? I hope that cheered you up. Thank Subscribe and share. So let's move on to the next segment, which is why is all this important? You know, I would say paying attention to this, I think, is extremely important because there's really no escaping this word happiness, especially nowadays where everyone's in their feelings, everyone's sharing, everyone's caught up in social media. You know, where basically what happens there is, as you know, all the in-between stuff, all the mundaneness is taken out, but then we don't really have enough organic moments of happiness to put up there. So these moments are now manufactured. So the whole bloody thing is just a stinking cycle of manufactured cope mixed with undeserved envy or comparison that feeds into more manufactured cope while we just sleepwalk through the in-between zone. You know, the chopping wood, the carrying water, we're kind of just sleepwalking through that. There's just no escaping this word happiness nowadays. We'll all be confronted by all kinds of people that we interact with, you know, and I really think it's extremely important, first of all, to have our own solid footing on this word and what our understanding is, what our definition is, what does happiness mean to us personally, individually. To hell with the rest of, you know, whatever uh, videos you find online. Because they're all just talking about different things. You know, some people are talking about physical happiness. Some people are talking about mental happiness. Some people are talking about impractical happiness. Things like you should be happy always. You can manufacture it. Doesn't make sense. But the one thing that's common is they're all referring to different things. And they're all using one umbrella term, happiness. And the people that we interact with, God alone knows what definition they are picking out while they're having a conversation with us about happiness. So even though the same word is being used, the underlying definitions being different, slipping and sliding all over the place they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And that'll end up causing us not knowing what the hell we are talking about. So it's really important for us to have our own solid ground, what is our individual personal definition, and that we're going to stick to it until of course, you come across a better definition. But the important thing is, you know, happiness has got to have just one definition. Because then there's other words, there's joy, there's ecstasy, there's pleasure, there's contentment, there's fulfillment. If there's any other variations that we have for happiness, probably we should designate to each of those words, you know, so that there's no blanket umbrella stuff going around. The one word has one meaning. And once we have a solid understanding of what the term means to us individually, then I think to the rest of the world, you know, we just, we can just, yeah, 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 we can just nod our head. Yeah. Oh yeah. Happiness. Yeah. It's very important. All that. And just, you know, brush it off. But then to the people that are really close to us, that actually mean something to us, we got to try and ensure that we are, you know, specifying what we think about it and maybe negotiate a common understanding. As far as my own personal take from my observations and my own theory as of now, I like to define it as, you know, the smallest measure or the smallest moments in time that, you know, spike up. Like, if you think of it as a graph, every time the graph spikes up, it's a happy moment. And every time the graph spikes down, then it's either an unhappy moment or it's that in-between zone. Because I want to clarify here, like, even if we reach a state where the chop wood, carry water, daily chore activities that are mundane... Even if we reach a stage where we are being mindful, because that's what they talk about, that's what the whole Zen thing is about, is to be mindful in everything you do, even if it is the mundane tasks. And that is where you will relieve yourself of, you know, whatever it is that afflicts you while doing those things. That is where even in the small mundane stuff, you'll see a potential to be content. I don't want to use the word happy, because that constant period of, you know, feeling full or feeling not unhappy, I find that matching more with words like contentment or satisfaction, even fulfillment goes in a different direction for me. And we'll, of course, you know, come to all of that because contentment is not easy. Fulfillment is not easy. All of these things are coming down the line. So happy for me is that small moment, that small spike up in the graph where I have a laugh, you know, where I'm enjoying my surroundings or I'm enjoying my company. And my understanding or expectation from happiness is that always it's going to be a very fleeting moment, that it's going to be a small relief, a very short relief, followed by a rather long period of I don't know what. It could be um, a downward spike, you know, it could be anything from frustration, anger, um, unhappiness, or just the in-between place, you know, where it's nothing negative as well, but it's just the mundane. So personally, I don't really hold expectations of happy moments to extend for a long period of time. I expect them to be very short and very fleeting. And I expect them to be few and far between. And I'm talking about the natural, organic moments of pure happiness. These truly are few and far between. But the silver lining on the cloud is there are some moments in the mundane, everyday chores, you know, chop wood, carry water stage where there is a potential to sort of amplify it a little bit, to sort of make it into a happy moment a little bit. There is a potential every now and then. So what I try to do is to first of all be conscious and aware that when I'm having an organic happy moment, you know, that just came out of the blue because things fell into place, I'm either with the right people or I'm in the right place, whatever it is, the right time. But when that happens organically, I try to consciously remind myself that It is the human condition to only realize what a good moment that was after it has passed. So in that moment, to consciously realize that, oh, this is going to be one of those short moments, so I might as well try and make the most of it. Because whatever small dose of positive shot in the arm you get, that's usually good enough to coast you by, you know, a relatively longer period of mundane, in-between stuff, or even some negative stuff. At least that's how it works for me. But then when I see any potential in the in-between stuff, the daily chores, the mundane stuff, that yeah, this can be made into a happy moment or this has potential, then definitely I try to pursue that. Because just leaving everything to pure chance and pure organic arrangement, you know, is is just asking for a piecemeal kind of distribution, which at the end of the day, I, I feel like we lose out if we leave everything to just chance. There has to be some initiative, I guess. But that's sort of, you know, my theory on it and what I try to do with my understanding of the word. And it's just the knowledge that this is going to go. This is going to go. This moment is actually one of those moments that you will look back later and think, yeah, that was a moment that was really cool. That was, I was happy there. So when I'm in that, of course, this realization comes after, you know, losing out on quite a few of those and then realizing But when I'm in that, I try to remember and try to be as present as possible to milk it for what it's worth, to try and listen more and maybe reciprocate more and involve more, engage more, you know, and that small dose just seems to be good enough for a while. And all this talk about being happy, even through hardships, being happy in adversity, because you're an unlimited source for happiness. You can keep manufacturing it like DMT in the pineal gland or something. I don't buy it. That again for me, I'm not denying that that concept exists, what I'm saying is I wouldn't use the word happiness for that. That's closer to the other words, like contentment, but not happiness. Because it only stands to reason that if you're having a shitty moment, the right thing to probably do is to be shitty, feel shitty. Isn't that the appropriate thing? Whether that was deserved or undeserved, isn't it probably right to feel shitty in the shitty moments, to stay with that? you know, to kind of live in it, again, That's nothing but being present in that. Because anything else, like doing anything else apart from going through the shittiness, feeling the shit, being shitty through the shitty moments, anything else that we do from that, isn't that just a way of running away from that? Isn't that just a way of running away from it only to delay things further? And if you're delaying these things, who's to say that's not delaying that moment of happiness that was coming down the line? So yeah, this thing, you know, it's not a breeze. I mean, this thing is so slippery, this word. I had a vague idea when I started out. But once I started looking at the definitions of all those words and they started pointing to each other, I mean, but I'd love to know what you guys think. Um, If you've stuck around this far, man, talk about being a masochist. Someone likes punishment. <laughs> But I don't really appreciate it because there are ways to do podcasts where they're entertaining, where they retain, you know, an audience and their interest, where you try to figure out ways to keep your audience listening to the podcast for as long as possible. And we do have another podcast in Telugu, which where we do all of that, and it works like a charm. And there, our only purpose is to entertain our audience and to make them laugh. But this one this one is the opposite. There's no home delivery. There's no creature comfort. It's not easy. Doing it, listening to it, sticking to it, the whole thing. It's not easy, but that's why it's worth it. And I'd really love to hear what you thought of this topic. What is your definition of happiness? How do you engage with that word? How do you understand it? Whether you agreed with anything that was, you know, shared in this particular podcast episode or whether you disagreed with it. You know, either ways, you can reach us on Instagram at underscore Thigh on Twitter at thighgap, on email at mindthighgap at gmail.com. But that, dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen, is why happiness is not easy. Thigh Gap, subscribe and share.